Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm Lisa, your host, and this podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. You've got to hear about this great conference that PR Daily is doing May 11th in New York City. Uh, It's the Media Relations and Measurement Conference, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be hosting a couple of panels. We're going to talk about what's happening, what's landing in the newsroom, what's, you know, what's making it in the in the paper, all that cool stuff. So find more information about this great conference May 11th in person, yay, uh, online at prdaily.com or hit me up at lisa at fridayreporter.com. Thanks, guys. Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Today's episode is with Lillian Rizzo, who is a journalist and a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. She is also uh, the third of the three panelists uh, on the panel that I'll be uh, hosting next week, May 11th, for PR Daily for their media conference. I can't wait to meet you in person. Lillian, thanks for being with me. Yeah, I can't wait to meet you, too. Thanks for... uh the the early get together. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, just like anything else, like it's an opportunity for us to catch up and then we can kind of really get into the nitty gritty of, you know, what's going on in the media space next week. Thank goodness we'll be in person. I feel like we're all sort of emerging from this like cocoon that we've been hiding out in for the last two years. I know I couldn't agree more, but it seems like people are, you know, ready to be back out. Um, I've got a pretty jam-packed May of meetings, so I'm, I'm excited to, to see you in person, just be there. Excited, but also like a little exhausted. I had a full day last week and I and I woke up the next day and I thought, good grief, how do we do this for five days a week, you know, from like get up in the morning, get your act together, think about what to wear for five days even. Anyway, so, um, but but it's, the sleep is better now. Totally. <laughs> Those days, I feel like I knock out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> no question about it. We're earning every every minute we get. So Lillian, you have such uh, a cool background, and I am excited to, to hear a little bit about how it is you got to be where you are today at the Journal. Talk to me a little bit about your background in journalism and how you got started. Sure. Um, so I guess as cliche as it sounds, you know, I was a high school student. Uh, in American history and totally enamored in Nixon and Watergate and thought it was just like the coolest thing. Um, And was like, it would be really cool to be a person to do something so impactful like that and Mm -hmm. get to write, which was always my favorite thing to do when I was in school. Um, And that sort of carried through to college. I, I I wouldn't say I went into college necessarily knowing I wanted to be a journalist, but I had a good hunch Um, I went to Baruch College, which is a city college in New York City. Mm -hmm. It's an excellent school, Um, but it's really known for business. A lot of people go into finance and investment banking from there. I see. um, You know, it's a great affordable way, especially for a city kid to, you know, get a good education and then go off into that career path. Mm -hmm. Um, And my dad worked on Wall Street his whole life, you know, in the municipal bond industry. Um, And so he was always kind of thinking that would be my path obvious connections there. And I was like, well, it's cool what you do, but I'd rather write about it uh-huh. um, or at least some facet of it. And so I was in college at Baruch and I started writing at the 
school newspaper in my sophomore year, actually, my freshman year, I kind of just, I don't know. I was just, I was just there figuring it out. I you guess. were just a freshman um, like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, one thing about going to a city college is it is a commuter college. So uh-huh. while we had like a fair for, you know, all of the different things to join and be part of, it was, I guess, that same feeling of being on campus and knowing what was really attainable. So my first year, I think I just psyched myself out. Yeah. And then sophomore year, I was like, I was on this list of, you know, who can go out and like cover these stories for the ticker that was our college newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it was like late September, early October. I just was like, let me bite the bullet and do it. And, um, and then I kind of became hooked and I was writing two, three stories a week um, while being a commuter student and working and, you know, doing all of the above. Sure. And I did that, um, when I was a junior. Yes. When I was a junior, I had my first, um, real internship. I actually interned at the New York daily news, uh, while I was in school, it was a part-time internship. And at the time it was actually for their business section. It was called your money. Um, it was like a weekly insert, And it was really about like, you know, business from the perspective of the New Yorker and the money going in and out of your pocket. Uh Um, So, uh, you know, something fun to dive into uh, as a young kid. And it was also the spring right after the fall of 2008. So a lot of my stories are based around that. um, Yeah. What a volatile time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I did that. Um, I then became an editor at my school newspaper. I then went back to the daily news to intern once again, but this time covering sports, borough sports. So oh, fun. Uh, high school sports, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up going to grad school. I was one of those people like kind of afraid of entering the job market post 2008. I can't imagine why. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tough market to get <laughs> and, into. Um, And while I was like doing my thing in journalism, I was like, can I really do this without a grad degree? So um, I went to Columbia's journalism school. One of the best. I did a a full year there. It was awesome. Um, I'm from Brooklyn, so I commuted from Brooklyn, Awesome. um, which was uh, I was very lucky that my beat was in Brooklyn. It just happened that way. I didn't get to choose it. I don't know who was looking out for me from above, but Mm. not having it. If I would have had a beat in the Bronx, I don't know what would have happened. Where in Brooklyn are you from? Uh, So I grew up in Canarsie, and Uh uh, then I moved to Bensonhurst. So when I was in J school, I was in Bensonhurst. I have two friends from Canarsie, and I will. Oh, really? uh, Yes, which is a crack up because it's not. They love to say that it like Canarsie is not cool Brooklyn. (laughs) Canarsie's like legit old school Brooklyn. That's exactly what I was going to say. Was. And I moved from not cool Brooklyn to another part of not cool Brooklyn, <laughs> um, <laughs> where the commutes are real. Right. Um, Far away. So, yeah. But it's real Brooklyn. Right. So, um, well, I'm a bridge and tunnel girl because I, I grew up in the, I grew up in Asbury Park, New Jersey. So same. You get it. Same, yep. You know what the commute's like. I do. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I went to J school and, uh, I knew I wanted at that point to get into something in business journalism. More so because I saw the stability that was in the field, Mm -hmm. um, but also because it was um, not something I was particularly used to. And this all being said, I graduated from J school and I went back to the Daily News. And this time I was a paid intern, not for very much, but I was still a paid intern. (laughs) 
for the city desk. And, you know, I got to run around and cover crime full time. And oh, cool. All these various things and run all over the five boroughs. And yeah. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I continued freelancing for them for a bit after and uh, after that summer. And for a point, for a few months, I was just freelancing for like various places, like local newspapers, the Daily News, um, an online website called Global Post, mm -hmm. um, which is known for international journalism. I was sort of like the rewrite desk at that point. Um, and I was applying to everything under the sun. I bet. Um, and then about two months after I applied to this place called Debtwire, which is a niche trade publication um, about restructuring and debt and bankruptcy. They reached back out to me and um, they gave me a shot. Uh, and while I wanted to get into business journalism, I didn't know the first thing about debt. I thought it was my student loan you wow. know, or my credit card. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was the type of place where they just like, they throw you into the deep end. And um, I felt a little in over my head at first, but, you know, my editor who was really supportive was like, you're a reporter, you know how to report. It's the same thing across everything. You just got to mm -hmm. like ask the questions and we'll help you in when it comes to writing and getting it down on the paper. And after a few months of it, uh, I flourished to be honest. Like I, I really started enjoying the beat and the yeah. industry and um, just learning something so technical and not being in school while learning it was actually pretty great. Right. On the job. <laughs> um, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to get paid to learn sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's what I like about journalism is you're you're constantly learning something as a part of your job and hoping to help other people learn it too or just analyze it or understand it in a new way. Um, and I was there for two years covering restructuring, bankruptcy, um, distressed companies. And then I went uh, to the journal. I first started covering private equity Mm -hmm. um, a friend of mine from Baruch actually was my referral at the journal, which was great. That's great. Um, and so I started out covering private equity, like middle market deals, um, mostly in retail, because that was where I'd focused on in bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And and then I don't even think I was two years into that beat, but bankruptcy just kept calling my name. I had um, a lot of really good sources, and you know I left Debtwire after two years, so I was like kind of at that point of starting to really spread your your wings sure. uh, and um so i went back to covering bankruptcy and i did that for i don't i don't even remember how many years three four years i guess at the journal wow. um and it was great i had a great team a great editor and um i got to take part in some of the biggest business coverage about toys r us and sears which those are um, big ones yeah those are really yeah. big ones yeah which as a Toys R Us kid, it was really tough to cover, I bet. but um, it was also really competitive and a very scoop-driven uh, beat. So I had a lot of fun doing that, um, and I loved the beat. But you know, kind of going back to what I said earlier, I just wanted to learn something new. I felt like collectively, I'd been covering bankruptcy for like I guess seven, six, seven years at that point, um, and I felt like you know time to try a new beat, do something new. Sure. Um, but stay at the journal because I, I really, I really do enjoy working there. Right. And um, and that's kind of how I made the shift into covering uh, media news. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, and what I a busy focus... beat! It's so busy right yes. now. <laughs> yes, I I don't think I knew what I was getting myself into, but I guess you can say that about 
pretty much every beat. Um, but yeah, and I started doing that three years ago and my how it has evolved in just three years. I was going to say, what a what a time to be where you are too because the changing and the evolution of what is media and what those companies look like is just every single day is breaking and different and hard to follow. What, what do you make of all of that news, even over the course of the last few weeks, what kinds of, what kinds of vantage point you as sort of the constant observer and reporter on, on the media space in terms of media business? Like, what do you make of some of the, the, expansions and contractions that are going on in in the world that you cover? Yeah. um, I think these last few weeks have really proven like we're covering this age old industry, um, whether you're looking at it from the perspective of TV or, or cable or movies or radio for that matter. But it is in like this moment of constant change Mm -hmm. and there's really no way to predict it. Yeah. Um, I think some people can say they predicted uh, or predicted it, um, but I just think because it's so new, you can predict any outcome at this point. And sure. I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who really knows what that outcome will be. And when I started out covering this three years ago, and you know, sourcing and talking to people and trying to really understand the industry beyond just being a consumer. Um, people were making those notions. They were saying, you know, we're at the frontier of something new. We know that streaming is the future because that's the way people are consuming things. But how that unfolds, we don't know. And what that looks like may be completely different from what it is today. And I guess Netflix's earnings a few weeks ago kind of proved that. Right. Um, It's not this one size fits all business model. It's not something where we know how successful of a business model it is. you know, you're starting to hear people say things like bundling might be better, this age old word um, mm. in cable media mm-hmm. um, and just thinking of different ways of distribution and getting in front of consumers. And it's really interesting because you're getting to see really big companies. I mean, and obviously Netflix is a newer company, but older companies, companies like Comcast and Paramount, um, revamping and changing and using what they have from the past and trying to go into the future with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's a really interesting time. And on top of it, I mean, I watch TV, so I get to like consumer too. see it on both ends. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that um, one of the one, Maddie Berg is going to be with us on the panel next week. And she also similarly covers some of this, Um, she seemed to think too that possibly, and she had sort of like drawn this from another conversation she had been having was that, um, this is just the next evolution of the cutting of the court, even like this could be just sort of, you know, as we saw as, as news coverage has changed in terms of like, first we were reading it in black and white in the paper, then we were reading it online. Now we're looking at it in streaming fashion and other ways online. This is just another example of sort of that evolution and that change. Um, even as it comes to like, you know, when you get your cable, then we decided to opt out of cable and get some streaming. Now this is a new change and evolution either way. Like, how lucky for you to be right there sort of covering this as the changes are happening. 
Totally. And it's, it's funny too, because I'm, I am the media as well. So it's, it's also an interesting thing to cover yourself in some fashion. Do you feel um, like you get any blowback when you're covering that? Like when, when you're asking questions like that, do folks sort of, are they resentful of the fact that you're covering sort of media as it, as a reporter yourself? Like, how do you, how do you feel about that position yeah. that you're in? Um, you know, I think for the most part, everybody gets it. Mm. Um, you know, we have to hold ourselves accountable of course. and unearth these stories. But yes, there are times when you're working on a difficult story or a story where there is a lot of sensitive moving parts and that can come up in conversation. Um, you know, I think things have definitely improved um, in the last few years. Um, but I I will say, yeah, that's that's definitely something. But I always try to tell myself, you know, kind of going back to little high school, Lily, and like, mm -hmm. you know, Nixon was doing the same thing to the media and like people have always questioned. And I guess that's the great thing about our society in some ways is like you question everything and you have the freedom to do so. Sure. Um, and so I try to recognize that. And, you know, I also try to be very transparent in my reporting with all of my sources and the people I'm talking to so that it's hard for them to to ever feel like I had a gotcha moment. Right. I mean, it's, it's against what we're supposed to do. And um, again, there's sensitive situations and things that you have to cover, but I think there's a right way to do everything and, and garner some respect in that process, or at least try to. Right. No question. And, and certainly it, it's something I would, I, I would suspect that, that this beat, because it is so necessary and so needed, there's also probably a side of the folks that you're covering that are actually grateful for the the fact that you're telling that story so that people can understand what is happening and how it's changing and how it's evolving over, you know, the course of time. Um, I think specifically about the folks who were involved in CNN Plus and how that sort of grew and expanded and they were really doing some great work and then all of a sudden sort of the rug was pulled out from underneath them. I'm seeing a lot of those folks really grateful for the way those stories are unfolding and telling sort of how that has developed too. So that's um, just a great sort of vantage point and perspective from, you know, myself, who's just the PR guy. I'm just interested to see how that's all changing because also too, I have to figure out who it is, is covering what and how it is the best way to, you know, connect with folks and, and share information too. Totally. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, it's an interesting moment for everybody involved from the journalists and the PR perspective. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a front row seat as well. Yeah, in a different kind of way, but also kind yeah. of it's you know that that consumer means and that the changes. Tell me, Lillian. So you know, so you're spending a lot of your time doing this, but you also live in well, as far as I'm concerned, I'm from the Northeast, so it's the most imp important and exciting place on the planet. But um, <laughs> what kinds of things? What keeps you busy when you're not uh, reporting on the news of media uh, throughout the day? Yeah. It's kind, of, it's kind of terrible now, though, because every time I watch TV, I feel like I'm doing work. <laughs> <laughs> I can see how that might be the case. <laughs> you know, every time, every time my fiance is like, oh, did you see that commercial? Or, oh, did you see how they changed this? I'm like, I can tell you why. No. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny. I guess after COVID, it's, it's almost like a different question. Um, you know, for so long, all we were really doing was working in TV. But yeah. Um, you know, I'm getting back into the office now some sometimes a few days a week and meeting people. But, you know, friends wise, I'm, I'm trying to do, you know, normal life, you know, 
going yeah. out to eat and, and going to the movies and traveling. I just went to um, England in uh, late March, early April. It was like my first international travel and it, since COVID. Um, yeah. But it was super fun. I just went with a good friend of mine and my younger sister and full disclosure, we're like kind of beetle nuts in my family. And so we went to England, but we really just went to Liverpool to do like all of the Beatles, like this is where they're from sorts of things. I love the it. Museums and the, awesome. And touring of like John Lennon and Paul McCartney's homes and just, you know, walking around Penny Lane and bringing the song to life. So it was a lot of fun. Oh, that um, sounds awesome. Travel is yeah. definitely on the high on the list. We've yes, done a couple yeah. trips and boy, it just feels good to be out and not, you know, sitting yeah. in the walls of your own home and just to be out and seeing some new things and experiencing new things. It's just so great. Totally. I'm just hoping that it's hoping that it holds <laughs> if for yeah, no other. No, I agree. I agree. And then, you know, this winter, like we went, we go snowboarding. I wouldn't say I'm a great snowboarder, but I can get down a mountain. Um, it's all that matters. <laughs> and yeah. And so we went to like a bunch of different places in Vermont, which was really nice because it, it was kind of a good way to be outdoors, but also like check out little towns and shops and yeah. Um, you know, spend all that money on local businesses that we didn't get to in the last few years. We were in Vermont too. It was so cold oh, when we really? were up there too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but one, I love it up one there. One of the weekends it was like warm, but then one of the times it was really cold. Yep. Um, which is Vermont for you. But well, I was going to say, if it's, if it's not icy, it's, you're not skiing the east, right? My friend loves to say, if there wasn't ice, then did you really ski the east at all? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And my, my dad lives in Salt Lake City, actually, for the last 20 years. So I know the difference between snowboarding in both places. Yeah. But um, I love New England. So I think it's it's really nice to to get to experience it and do those sorts of trips and, and be outdoorsy, which is also easier to do during COVID as well. I do, too. I do, too. Yeah. If you, uh, Lillian, before uh, before we kind of close out our conversation, two two quick questions. First off, is there a story that you're especially proud of, like whether it's from when you were up at Baruch, when you were covering something for the, the um, you know, when you were interning, like, is there something that sticks out as a story that you're especially proud of for as, as your career, as you look back on your career in the, the early years? Yeah, um, in the early years, I, I would say it was, you know, when I was at the Daily News uh, various times, but, you know, even that first stint when I was I was really nervous on the your money section. Um, I had pitched a story about, you know, as simple as it sounds, what were the tailors doing that were in the financial district or, you know, in Midtown near the banks that had major layoffs. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was, you know, very much a financial Wall Street story, but it was about the little guy in that business. And, you know, interesting. I talk to a lot of people who were immigrants or, you know, like this is their business and seeing their livelihood, you know, sink along with the market and everything else. Um, and I thought that was an important story to tell. And it was something where I got to, you know, cover New York City, my something I truly love, but also look at it through this lens um, and also take a step back as to, you know, how this huge thing that's happening uh, to our market and our economy is affecting little guys. So, yeah. um, I love that, but you know, even in my current beat, uh, I'm three years in and, um, it feels old, but new, uh, mm -hmm. when I compare it to something like bankruptcy where I covered it for seven years. So, yeah. 
um, you know, I, I love covering the industry and the business of it and the fun parts of it, um, which I think is, is something great about the media beat. So I think I've had a lot to be proud of in the last few years too. How do people, how do people best pitch you, Lillian? What's your favorite way to get a pitch? Like, is there a, is there, I mean, I know that there's plenty of pitches that land way flat, but are there any yeah. that sort of stick out as like winners? Is there any sort of like winning way to, to pitch you? Honestly, like just know me and have a relationship. I, mm-hmm. You know, it's a cold pitch is never great. Um, and yeah. I say that as a journalist and I have to, you know, pitch myself to people all of the time. Of course you do. Yeah. Um, you know, like call me first and just let's have coffee and talk about like what we like and um, what I'm covering and what's important to me. And then, or do my podcast. Know. And now if, this, exactly. this, this is, if yeah. this were not coffee with journalists, this is podcasting with Lisa, but yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Exactly. It, it also establishes yeah. kind of a foundation. I think that's really important. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, obviously, and that's today's Friday Reporter podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. Make sense for the journal and its readers, not just for me, too. Sure. Or for them to make sure the pitch goes through. I think that's, no, I think that, and that is consistently across the board. The one thing that I hear the most is take an extra, take a beat, take a minute, either try to get to, you know, try to get to know who you're pitching or at the very, very minimum, try to get to know what it is they cover specifically. Um, Because so much of like, you know, so much of those pitches are just off enough that they can't even there's not even time to respond to say thanks for reaching out. Um, exactly. So Lillian, I will, I'll see you in real life next week. Uh, so, and, and we'll be, it'll be fun to sort of catch up and talk about all these fun things with the other two panelists that I've also talked to that will all air together on the same day, three episodes, which is big for this little homegrown podcast, but I'm excited. And I wanted to ask before I let you go, is there someone else in the journalism space you think would be a good guest for a future episode? Yeah, I mean, um, I guess because it's near and dear to home for me, but Joe Flint, uh, I work with him a lot on a lot of my stories. Um, uh, We have a pretty good working relationship, I'd say, but he, you know, I've been covering media for three years, although I've been in journalism for 10 plus professionally. Um, He's been covering media for a really long time. And if you really want to get a good vantage point, uh, I think he's a good person to talk to and just a tried and true journalist as well. Cool. Well, I'll let them know you nominated them. I'm so glad for that recommendation. And I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Uh, Have a great rest of the week. And thanks again for being a guest. You too. Thanks so much for having me. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. 
You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.